Stuff Podcasts. Hi, I'm Carol Hirschfeld and welcome to The Long Read from Stuff. This episode is called Enduring, the restoration of Te Urawera, and it was written by national correspondent Florence Kerr, and she joins me now. Kia ora ehoa. Kia ora. This story, flow took you deep into an area in Aotearoa, New Zealand, that has a unique legal status. Tell us about why you ventured there to write this story now. It was after a discussion with my editor, Patrick Crudson, who's fascinated by this piece of legislation. And he suggested, hey, why don't we go out there and see how things have gone on seven years later? So in 2014, the Tūruwira Act was passed, which enshrined this massive landmass, Tūruwira, as its own being, as its own person, which gave it all the rights and responsibilities as every other New Zealand citizen. The extraordinary thing is that that region is now being co-managed by the Crown and Tūhoi. The relationship between the Crown and Tūhoi remains very much a work in progress, but there are signs of positive change. There is, and I think you see that in the way DOC has now changed the way in which they work. So they have learnt a lot about changing the Eurocentric lens to a Māori worldview lens, and I think that other land masses across the nation have benefited from that. A surprising story in many ways, Flo, and for you personally, you got to literally go bush for a while. Before going into the bush, we had ideas of how this story would be, but coming out of it, the story you see now is not the story we thought we would write. And I'm thankful for that. Ehoa, thank you so much. And now here's Florence Kerr reading Enduring the Restoration of Te Urawera. Deep in Tūruwera forest, Manuka Apiata cuts a striking figure against a starlit sky. He's working fervently to prepare his horse for mahi in the bush with his crew. Dawn is yet to break and the full moon illuminates the white strands of Apiata's hair as he weaves around the horse securing saddlebags and tools to cleanse Te Uruwera of pests such as possums. He whispers commands in his distinct Tuhoi dialect and the horse obliges. At 73, Apiata is as agile as a man half his age. Animated by passion and a belief of being connected, to the environment through whakapapa, genealogy. His commitment gets him up at four every morning in service of his ancestor, Theodewera, a culturally and legally protected feminine being of rivers, forests and mountains. For Apiata and his Ngai Tuhoi people, the deep connection to Theodewera goes back to their creation story. They are said to be the descendants of Pōtiki, a child of Timanga, the mountain man, and Hinepu Kohurangi, the mist woman. They are Ngā Tamariki o Te Kohu, the children of the mist. Te stretches from the Bay of Plenty into Hawke's Bay. Waikare Moana, Ruatahuna, 
Ruatoki and Waimana are known as her four corners. The iwi influence has extended to include Te Putere in the south, from Kaingaro in the west to Ngātapa in the east. She is home to nearly all the North Island species of native birds, including the endangered North Island brown kiwi, North Island kōkako, kaka and fiu. When the Tūtawera Act was passed into law seven years ago, it enshrined the former national park with all the rights, powers, duties and liabilities of a legal person. Tūtawera was placed under the kaitiakitanga, guardianship of her tūhoi descendants, with support from the Department of Conservation. Emphasising the connection between tūhoi and tūtawera, the law preserves, as much as possible, the natural features of Tūruwera and her ecology, biodiversity and heritage as a place for the public to use for recreation, learning and spiritual reflection. Acting as Tūruwera's voice is a board made up of six Tūhoi representatives, including Apiata and three crowned seats. The groundbreaking change was followed in 2017 by a similar law making the Whanganui River a legal person, a world first for a river. The changes gave Tūhoi the mandate to control human activities within Tūruwera. They can place Rahui, temporary ban, on certain areas to prohibit activities and the prohibition that must be adhered to by all teaching ancient forestry schools to the young iwi members within the bush no longer requires dock permission and they can hunt, gather and forage without fear of prosecution. For Māori, reconnection to their whenua is all-encompassing. It involves the care and well-being of the land using mātauranga, wisdom, developed over centuries, specific to the environment they are connected to through whakapapa. After the law was passed, the changes were almost immediate. Centuries of indigenous tūhoi knowledge of Te came to the forefront for her continued care. These holistic measures have challenged Doc. After 60 years of managing the land using Western methods, the department is now having to see through a new indigenous lens. There have been difficulties adjusting. As Apiata ties his horse to the wooden shed outside the kota, cookhouse, he says he is not a fan of the crown. He has seen firsthand the devastation it has caused his people. He has heard the stories of his ancestors' struggles from his old people. In the kota, he prepares breakfast before a full day of hard work, trekking up the mountains, laying traps. It's about trust, he says, of the crown. As he sparks up his gas stove, there is none. Apiata's papakainga, home base, is deep in the bosom of Tūruwera, shielded from the view of the Ohinemataroa Awa, behind fern fronds and native flora. There are no roads, no cell phone reception, and the only ways to get there are by horse or four-wheel drive. Forget Google Maps. To find Apiata, you have to know the lay of the land, how to read the currents of the river. His papakainga is not connected to the grid. It runs off a few solar panels crudely erected in the front of the Farimoi sleeping quarters, 
and adjacent to the ablution block. There is a long drop dunny that Apiata erected with no door. A few branches from the trees partially block the view, but at any given moment, changing wind could give whoever's seated on the throne eye contact with passing men on horseback. At the table near the wood burner, Apiata scoops up a mouthful of porridge and between gulps admits he hasn't read the legislation. Neither has he read the Kawa of Tūduwera, a handbook created by the Tūduwera board that explains new etiquette expected of visitors. Before the settlement, Doc managed the land. Under the guardianship of Tūhoi, it is the people who are managed. Something Apiata already knew because the knowledge of how to behave in the forest was passed down to him from his gaumatua, elders. Before the law change, his relationship with Tūduwera was monitored closely by the department. He felt heavily policed. We would play cat and mouse with the rangers. If we wanted them to find us, we'll let ourselves be seen. We would see visitors from outside be able to do things we couldn't on our own whenua. It's different now. We can get our rongoa and our kai, Apiata says. Despite not being versed in the lines of the legislation or the kawa handbook, Apiata is the living embodiment of both. His relationship with Thurwira began in the cradle, and he and his wife Tineti have ensured it's instilled within their eight children, as well as all of their 26 mukapuna, grandchildren. The whānau live on Thurwira, the same land where Apiata's kuya, grandmother, raised him. English is his second language. He is more comfortable speaking in his native tongue. Hearing Apiata talk to his whānau in te reo is exquisite. It could be the dialect of his ancestors, untarnished by the education system. Apiata never wanted to be appointed to the Tūruwera governing board, but accepted after pressure from his whānau. Flustered by being in the boardroom with book-smart people, including former Prime Minister Jim Bolger, he got shingles. He is a man of the bush, not the boardroom, he reckons, but that is why his views are so highly regarded. It is his deep relationship and understanding of Tūruwera that makes his knowledge valuable. Apiata has come to know every crevice and curve of the land. He knows the bird sounds he should hear at certain times of the year, the wildlife, the water species, new pests. Sound, sight and smell tell him when something is not right. Apiata talks about Tūruwera in a way many talk about a revered elder. He doesn't see his role as an owner of Tūruwera. He is a kaitiaki, a guardian. Humans are seasonal beings, but the land is enduring. Tūruwera nurtures with rungwa, medicine and kai for his whānau. And she is his sanctuary to escape to. Thirdweda hid many of his whanaunga from the clutches of the constabulary. As long as we look after Thirdweda, she will look after us all, Apiata says. Apiata finishes off the last of his porridge and takes a big slurp of tea. 
It's almost 5am and the other four men in his team, including his two sons Billy and Shino, will assist Apiata on the Maunga, mountain. While they prepare their horses, Apiata shares his concerns, what he's observed in the Ngahere bush. The berries that the pigeons, pigs and deer eat, the animals are starving. The berries seem to have run out earlier. They are fruiting the same but not as much and some of them aren't even fruiting. The berries feed the pigeons and the animals but they also feed the ones in the water too like the tuna. When there are heaps of the berries it falls into the water and the water carries them to the pools where the tuna and the trout are and they eat them. People might say it is the possums, but I don't think so. We have less possums than before, and the berries were always good. I always used to slip over on them because they were everywhere. That's how plentiful it was, he says. Apiata noticed the decline more than ten years ago, and says it has got worse. Other threats have also invaded his beloved Maunga. The smoke coming in from the towns has gotten worse. Tūruwira would recycle the air and clean it, but I think it might be too much for her now. It's a real carbon smell. It clings to the hills in winter. It's not good. Another thing we are having problems with is the wasps. It's really bad now, especially in the summer. I can hear their hum when I am by the willow trees. I have been hearing their humming for six years and it's getting worse. They do damage to the willow trees. In the summer, when I go on top of the maunga, I can see all the wasps. You can hear the humming. I reckon they are causing an imbalance in the ngahere. They are eating all our insects. The wasps could be the reason why the berries are not here, Apiata says. Before the legislation change, all problems were managed at the discretion of Doc. Now Apiata's observations get reported to the board and its members look at indigenous and western strategies to counteract problems. Drinking the last of his tea, Apiata says the health of the Ngahere reflects the well-being of the people. When the Ngahere is good, the people are good. When the Ngahere is not, the people are not. There is an imbalance. With that comment, Apiata is out the door. He hoists himself onto his horse and as dawn breaks, the five men gallop away into the shroud of Hinepu Kohurangi. As Apiata and his crew work to combat issues within the Ngahere, human troubles outside it are brewing. Hi, I'm Carol Hirschfeld, the head of video and audio at Stuff. If you're enjoying our Long Reads podcast, how about contributing to the Stuff Supporter Program? You can contribute any amount you choose, and you can do it just once, or monthly, or annually. Direct support from people like you helps us produce the kind of journalism you're listening to right now. Go to stuff.co.nz forward slash support. The white Hilux ute creeps slowly across the Ohine Mataroa riverbed in four-wheel drive as the water rises within centimetres of the passenger window. The sloshing of the truck as it zigzags across the swollen river alerts a team of horses, some with markings, as they graze near the river's edge. 
After an inquisitive look, the horses return to graze. This isn't an unusual sight for these free-roaming animals. The horses aren't wild, they have a home, but they are free to explore. This is the journey from Apiata's Whare to Taniatua. 40 minutes and 23 horses later, the ute glides onto asphalt. We have another 10 minutes on Ruatuki Valley Road ahead of us. On the road, a faded white line stretches across the bitumen, with the word confiscation painted above it. Driving over the line ventures into the land confiscated by the crown in the 19th century. The difference in lifestyle between each side is stark. On the Māori side of the line, there are modest houses that could do with a lick of paint. The other side shows wealth, manicured lawns, flower gardens, and expansive houses with no peeling paint. More than a reminder of the burden Tuhoi people carry from those thefts, the line shows their utter defiance of, and survival, against the Crown's actions. The history of Tuhoi post-1840 makes for horrific reading. The tribe experienced some of the worst atrocities at the hands of the government, all in sight of or on Tūruwera, a significant place of spiritual wellness and sustenance that was taken and turned into a national park in 1954. Those atrocities included the Crown's brutal scorched-earth policy of 1869, which saw the homes and crops of the Tūhoi people burned in Tūruwera as the Crown sought the fugitive Tikoti. Many who survived that would later die of starvation. At the Iwi Authority headquarters in Taniatua, Tūrutaumata chairperson and the tribe's lead negotiator, Tamati Kruger, enters the boardroom, followed closely by a trolley of refreshments. Manakitanga, hospitality, is big in Tūhoi Nation. Short in stature and dressed in track pants and an oversized green woolen jumper, Kruger appears unassuming. But he is the wolf of Tūhoi territorial and merciless when provoked. His verbal prowess could elevate the weakest man to new heights or tear down the strongest. He can match and override the energy he is greeted with. An elusive man who has declined multiple interviews, he now sits relaxed in an armchair with a smile, though his eyes say something different. He is ready for a verbal exchange a school he has perfected fighting for justice. Kruger doesn't need to give this interview, neither is he fussed about it. He makes it clear the only people he is answerable to are Tuhoi. No one else is a priority. We got him on a day he felt charitable. With Tuhoi, Kruger describes himself as a chairperson of a 2,000-year-old organisation, Kruger led the negotiation with the Crown that saw Tūruwera return to iwi guardianship. His expertise has been sought nationally and globally by Indigenous nations seeking the return of stolen spiritual homelands. Tūruwera is spiritually significant for the people of Tūhoi, but for the Crown, it is evidence of dirty deeds, he says. 
It should never have been a national park in the first place because it's a crime scene. Stolen property. Kruger says Tuhoi's purpose was clear from the beginning. Reconnecting the 40,000 people who identify as Tuhoi back to their whenua, ngahere and whakapapa through their inherited connection to Tūruera. 90% of Tūhoi people do not live within their ancestral land, and Tūhoi leadership wants them back. The relationship between the Crown and Tūhoi remains strained. Tikanga, law, and Western ideologies are colliding, and the two are trying to find common ground. Even as the Crown ramps up efforts to honour the principles of Te Tiriti or Waitangi by forming equal partnerships with Māori in areas such as health, long-held issues from both sides remain unaddressed. How do you learn to trust each other and form meaningful relationships after everything that has happened? Tuhoi didn't sign the treaty but suffered the Crown's wrath that followed. Land was confiscated innocent people were detained or killed, actions that were justified by the Crown through dubious legislation and enforcement, and they were unfairly targeted by police. The anti-terror raids in 2007, the most recent example. The return of Tūruwera to Tūhoi guardianship is the beginning of a new era for the tribe. But with success comes fresh problems for Tūrutaumata, issues that are causing division and dissent within the iwi. Several hapu, sub-tribe, have protested about Kruger's handling of Tūhoi affairs, including policies to stop hapu accessing funds from the government agencies for things such as marae improvements. Unapologetic Kruger says Tuhoi have the resources to fix their own issues, but need to take ownership rather than asking for outside help. Revitalising manamotuhake, autonomy, means being self-reliant, he says. There will be fearfulness around a new order, a new Tuhoi world where they may not see a steady picture of their new role. They will feel insecure and they will resist and protest. That's where we are now as Tuhoi people. We are right in the middle of that chaos. A chaos we should never ever avoid. We should work our way through that. It's divisive. It's loud. But it's part of the necessity of change. Pursuing Manamotuhake is not easy after 180 years of Crown influence through colonisation, Kruger says. Kruger looks out of place in the boardroom. Like Apiata, he is not your average high-level iwi negotiator. He has lived in the bush without power and still looks like he could depart to go hunting at a moment's notice. Then he speaks and it all makes sense. He knows his land and the dreams of his ancestors. Dreams he is determined to bring to life today. He has spent more than 25 years in iwi politics earning the support of his people who wanted him as their chief negotiator. The role was made easier when his people said in no uncertain terms, come home with Tūruwera, or not at all. It allowed him the freedom to decline the crown as negotiations continued for three years. 
Kruger says there's a culture in New Zealand that national parks are owned by everyone and can't possibly be given away. Conservation estates were out of bounds for all iwi settlements. So that's what the government's problem was, the perception that they were giving away something owned by New Zealanders to a group of tūhoi Māori who looked like terrorists. That just is not a good look politically. So my problem was to understand what John Key's problem was. John Key's problem was ownership. So through the negotiations, we convinced him that nobody would own it. The land would own itself, he says. Once it was established that biodiversity would be fostered and the maunga would still be accessible to the public, the next step was writing the legislation. In Western culture, legislation is the highest order that they've got, and of course anyone who knows their history would know that legislation is a weapon that can be a tool, and it can be a tool that can be a weapon, Kruger says. To ensure their voices were in the legislation, Tuhoi insisted on helping to write it, using their own words. Post-settlement, many have failed to understand Tuhoi's relationship with Dūruwera, leading many to speculate about the revenue the tribe is making from her. Kruger has also fielded comments about Tuhoi being the brown dock. When people say, well, how many jobs have been created? I then say, we did not fight to have Tūruwera back so you could have jobs. That was never, ever part of our identity. The problem here was disconnection. So over 180 years, very few of us now know the Ngahere. Very few of us can live there now or understand how it works and how we are attached and papa to it. So that's our problem. Connection, not jobs. I am a kinship organisation. What I do is make sure that the connection the cultural, emotional, spiritual connection between people that make us who we are as tūhoi is strong. And everything that is tūhoi comes from that place. Our language, our cuisine, our literature, our poetry, our dreams, our names. Everything about being tūhoi comes from there. It was never ever about nice, clean, open tracks and nice swing bridges and comfortable huts. That's your stuff, not my stuff. So a better measurement is to come here and say, how are you getting on with that connection thing, Kruger says. That connection is strong for Apiata, instilled in him by his queer, who, like Kruger, described Tūruwera as Tūhoi's starting point. Born in Gisborne while his mother was working in the shearing sheds, Apiata was collected as a newborn by his uncle and taken back to Tuhoi to be raised by his queer. She was the most loving woman who loved her whenua and gave us that same love. Me and my wife have taught our kids our way of life in the Ngahere. They know how to hunt and feed their whanau. They know when not to as well. You only take what you need, nothing more. That's what my kuya taught me. She saw Tūruwera as a person, so you give back as much as you take, Apiata says. 
Former National Party MP Chris Finlayson was a minister for Treaty of Waitangi negotiations who oversaw the historic deal. Speaking from his Auckland law office, he says he wanted to right past wrongs against Duhoi. He expected backlash after his announcement, but it never came. Even Winston Peters, who was always critical of anything I did, said he hoped Tuhoi would get a good deal here. Everyone knew they'd been treated very badly, even within Parliament, and it went down very well. But the primary reason it went very well is because of the efforts of Tamati and Kirsty Luke, Tūru Taumata Chief Executive, talking to people and explaining that the world wasn't going to end and it would be an opportunity to right a wrong. He also says it was gratifying on a personal level to see justice prevail for Tuhoi after being locked out of their lands for more than a century and deceived by the Crown on many occasions. It was not the first time Tuhoi had engaged with the Crown to protect the Uruweta. In 1896, after prolonged discussions with the Crown, the Uruweta Native Reserve Act was passed. The Act would stop the Crown surveying land into Uruweta and exclude the Native Land Court. Titles would instead be investigated by a Tuhoi-dominated Uruweta Commission. The Uruweta Commission would award hapu-based land titles, and the hapu would elect a block committee to administer the land. Sales were not permitted. Tuhoi's local government would administer and govern the Uruweta Reserve. The 1896 law also promised schools and other services for Tuhoi, and protection of the forest and animals of the Uruweta. That was what was supposed to happen but the Crown ignored the Act for 25 years and later repealed it. Later, without consultation, Thurweta was turned into a national park. And of course, no one can go near a national park because it's so sacred and blah, blah, blah. But the very people who belong to the land, through countless generations, were totally locked out, and so it was just totally unfair, Finlayson says. Back in the Ngāhere, Apiata says he is glad the law has changed and his rights under Tūhoi law are now recognised in Crown law. But he sighs as he lifts the A4 folder of paperwork he has to read before his next Tūruweta board hui. It's this part of being on the board he hates the most. He would much rather that Jim Bolger jumped on a horse and came to his bush boardroom so he can show him where the issues are. He comes back to the berry problem. Its effects on wildlife hurt the people of Duhoi, who used the Uruweta for food. When I was young, I used to shoot pigeons for my nannies. I'd always go hunting for them from about May because the berries were plentiful and I'll always come back with more than enough, he says. Usually the berries are in fruit about January. The fruit are green then, and then about May the pigeons are singing because the fruits are about ready. The middle, the hino, the tawa, were always loaded on the trees. Right through July and sometimes August, Kiriru eats all three of them. I wrote in my book last week that I haven't heard a pigeon. 
I get still when I'm out in the ngahere to listen to them, and I can't hear them. Apiata says he gets excited when he sees signs of a wild boar in the bush, another thing that was once a common sight that is now a rarity. It's good to see a pig sign because I can't find one now in our area. It's the food, the tawaberry. When the tawa is here is when the pigs come. It's not there, neither is the berry. I only caught three pigs in the last four to six months. We can try and put more pigs out here, but to me it's a waste of time when there's no kai. I want a scientist to come out and have a look. They may be able to tell us why this is happening, Apiata says. Introducing Stuff's latest podcast, Once a Panther. We were asked by the community, well, what are you going to do about dawn raids? Why don't we raid the ministers? This is what's going to happen if you continue dawn raiding us in our area. We'll come out to you. We're all decked out in our panther gears. Prepared to get arrested. Prepared to fight. Once a Panther can be found at all the usual places and on stuff.co.nz forward slash once a panther. Made with funding from New Zealand on air. The Tuhoi Settlement was signed in 2013, followed by the Tūdawera Act in 2014. Post-settlement, Tuhoi said they felt resistance from DOC, which administered the Act for the Crown. Kruger says the cracks started forming from the beginning. DOC were furious because basically someone had sold their baby. It's one of the first instances where the Crown is sharing power, not coerced into it but voluntarily sharing power, to the extent that it's actually giving up power, so it's not a 50-50 share, it will probably end up being an 80-20 share in Tuhoi's favour. There was alarm, resistance, suspicion by Doc. So that's what we've been doing over the last seven years, abating that as much as we can, and we're tired of it, because basically it's not our job, Kruger says. Following the settlement, critics challenged whether Tuhoi could really manage the area. We've been preparing for 200 years. Indigenous people who have suffered from colonisation, loss, grief and terror don't sit around waiting for divine intervention. We have never, ever accepted the confiscation and the theft of our land. We have never, ever seen it as a national park. When Doc was here, Doc behaved and acted like the owner of the land, and they ignored us. They advertised Tūruwera as a place to come and fish for trout, tramp, and listen to birds and look at trees. They forgot to mention there were Māori living here. They forgot to mention that. So we have always known that our commitment and our mission here was our reconnection with the land. The Crown mistook that for owning. Owning is a Western concept, right? Indigenous people don't have a concept called ownership, Kruger says. As a chief advisor to the Director General of DOC, Mervyn English has worked closely with Tuhoi for the past four years. He admits it's not all been smooth sailing. Despite this, pest control and biodiversity work on the mountain has been maintained by Tuhoi. English says the biggest concern for Dudawera is the relationship between Tuhoi and the Crown. You just don't change 180 years in the seven years. 
tuhui has an intergenerational time frame, and Doc is adapting to that, and it hasn't been an easy adaption. I think that will give good outcomes for both tuhui and tūruwera. The work has forced those who have no spiritual connection to the land to dig deeper. It's soul work, English says, something he has never had to do in his career. It has involved reckoning with the Crown's history with Duhoi and learning to use a Māori lens to view the whenua. It's changed how the department operates, but is still a work in progress, he says. After most settlements are done, it's really only the beginning of the discovery of what the parties intended or thought was going to happen. All these expectations are built up, then you come to practice those on the ground and that becomes a different kind of situation. You have to work through the practicality of a whole lot of things. Doc has to be very careful that it's not looking at the forest through Eurocentric eyes. So Doc, for example, will do a lot of single species work. We work with kakapo and takahe, whereas tuhoi will have a much more holistic approach to looking at the land. A few months ago I had one of the tuhoi bush crews saying, this is happening, we don't know why, I wish we could talk to your scientists. And I said, well, we could organise that. But another tuhoi person said, all they will do is give us a Eurocentric view. So that's a really good illustration of the ambiguity where Doc has to find its way through, he says. The nuts and bolts of the partnership involve Doc providing operational support and $2.2 million in annual funding for Tūruwera's maintenance. There's a very fine balance here between supporting Tūhoi in any way that we can, but also giving them the space to find their own way, English says. A few years back, the relationship nearly broke down, English says. They recovered, but issues of power sharing and trust always hover in the background. Given the Crown's past history with them, they're very sensitive to whether we're trying to take over again or not. So it has actually worked better since the staff there have been predominantly Tuhoi people. English says going into this partnership, there was no blueprint for Doc to work off. He formed support networks outside Doc to help him understand te ao Māori, a Māori worldview. Despite setbacks, he believes the legislation is one of the most exciting laws that has been passed, and he expects more iwi across the nation to follow suit with the experiences of Tūhoi and the Crown helping shape future partnerships. I think one of the very fundamental things is to always be humble about what you think you know, because whether you're Māori or Pākehā, working in these situations, you cannot know everything, and you never will. While government departments tend to be transactional, Iwi are seeking a genuine, committed relationship, he says. The words in a settlement and apologies have a great deal more meaning and emotion around them for iwi than they do for people from the Crown. So I can talk to Tuhoi and they will talk about the words of the apology. They will still talk about the importance of the Crown restoring its honour, he says. Otago Law Professor Jacinta Ruru, who specialises in Māori environmental law, 
Sisa Tūruwera law paved the way for other land masses in Aotearoa New Zealand to be recognised as their own person, something the public should support. The sky is not going to fall in if we recognise a Māori understanding of the place. Our ability as a general public to still go and visit Tūruwera has not changed. We can still do all that. We didn't lose anything and I think that if anything, we gained an enormous amount in that generosity of tūhoi to share their worldview with us. And for the Crown to be humble enough to enter into and accept this compromise is recognition that the Crown doesn't have all the answers on how to care for the place. And by partnering with Māori, we can gain so much more as a country. So I hope that all of us as New Zealanders now, when we go visit Tūhoi, we walk through that forest and around the lake, that we have a much more enhanced, richer experience than we had in the past. There will be conflict and there'll be different opinions, for example, between Western-trained scientists and the Matauranga Māori knowledge-trained scientists. There will be conflict around what is best for the place, but I think there are better mechanisms in place to be able to negotiate that respectfully, Ruru says. Finlayson says no one was under the illusion the settlement phase would be easy. The new Jerusalem doesn't come in five minutes, but the Crown, through its agencies, has to recognise that the landscape has changed, that Parliament wanted that landscape to change, and they have to act in a way that gives effect to Parliament's intentions. There is no going back. There will be no change in the status quo. So get on or get lost, really. Back at the Apiata residence, deep in the heart of Tūruwera, they are getting on with it. With the men in the bush, Tineti prepares wholesome kai for their return, with her daughter, Kimiura Apiata, and Mukapuna, Manu Apiata, the 11-year-old daughter of their youngest son, Billy. Tineti is preparing a treat of fry bread. As she kneads the dough, she tells the story of her connection to Tūruwera. My grandmother raised me on this land and I was connected to the whenua straight away. That's tūhoi tana, tūhoi practices and beliefs. You can't be tūhoi without that connection, she says. Within her embrace, nothing outside existed. You were living here and in here was everything. Te the river and the mountains, everything. On the outside was the Pākehā realm. I never felt safe there. I never felt like I belonged. In here, I am part of everything. While we are the guardians that protect her from outside influences, she fuels us both spiritually and provides for her people, she says. As she cuts the dough into pieces to deep fry in the large pot of boiling oil, the hooves of the horses carrying Tineti's precious cargo, her fano, can be heard in the distance. The smell of bacon bone boil up with fat dough boys permeates the air. The men tie up their horses, kick their boots off and allow their noses to lead them to the pots. Conversation turns to visitors of the Uruwera. Do they want them here? 
Billy laughs as he tears his ice from the boiler pot. We do want them to visit this place and walk through the Ngahere and see the sights, but I think they're scared of us. Like, I actually think they think we're going to pop them off and chuck them in here, he says as he nods towards the pot. The 2007 anti-terror raids and resulting media coverage gave the public a misconception of Tuhoi. I'm not really into eating Pākehā, eh? He laughs. We want people to connect to our whenua, but we just ask you to care for her too. If you see rubbish, pick it up. If you can treat her with respect, we want you to visit. Hide in my. Manu was outside with one of her pups. The pair are learning to hunt. The child is versed in the medicinal properties of the native flora in the area. She knows what leaves to brew for an upset stomach and what leaves will relieve aches and pains. Manu has only known her connection to Teruera through her whānau, without interference from outside influences. Although she carries the mamai, hurt, of her ancestors, her connection has been a positive experience, particularly the time she gets to spend learning about it with her koro and nani. She is the future of Tuhoi, and if she is anything to go by, it will be a beautiful reset to a painful past. As the iwi grapples with internal struggles and the new era of its relationship with the crown, the people of Tuhoi are set on flourishing through mana motuhake. It's about undoing past traumas and redefining themselves. Resting in his sofa, Apiata returns to his comments from the morning about the problems he's noticed in the Ngahere. There is an imbalance, he says, but nature has a way of sorting itself out. That was Enduring, the restoration of Tiurawera on the long read from Stuff, written and read by national correspondent Florence Kerr, and sound mixed by Alex Liu. If you listened via our website, you can hear the story and more like it on the Long Read podcast, available on all the usual platforms. If you liked what you heard, please give us a five-star rating and a review. It helps other listeners find us. Thanks for listening. <laughs>